Seeing Beyond Risk, a podcast series from the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. I'm Chris Fivoli, Staff Actuary, Communications and Public Affairs at the CIA. Mental health is an issue that has received an increasing amount of attention in recent years. For actuaries who work in the group benefits practice area, mental health claims have become a significant cost driver and a major focus of claim management strategies. Joining us today to discuss this topic are Laura Pratt, National Practice Leader, Organizational Health at Canada Life, and Paul Kennedy, FCIA, Chief Health Actuary, Mercer Marsh Benefits Canada. Thank you both for joining us today. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. So to start off, we know that mental health claims are now a major cost driver for group benefit plans. How has the incidence of these claims changed over the past decade or so uh, compared to overall group claims? Yeah, I'd be happy to take a shot at that one, Chris. Um, So, you know, really we have seen this area of mental health, I would say, explode over the last uh, several years now, but it has really come to the forefront recently in respect of COVID-19, which I know we will be getting into later. The main data points that we look at from an actuarial perspective in looking through this are group long-term disability termination studies that have been published by the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. There have been three studies over the last couple of decades that have been produced. That The first of those indicated that out of all the claims that were part of that study, roughly one in four long-term disability claims were related to mental health. When that study was updated for early experience from the mid-2000s, so 2004 through 2008, we saw a major uptick in the prevalence of mental health at that point, specifically 46% in the province of Quebec were related to mental and nervous claims and 31% outside of the province of Quebec for a total of 36%. So right from one study to the next, from an overall standpoint, we increased from 25% to 36%. The study was again updated using early experience from the 2010s just recently. And we noticed the stabilization in the amount of mental and nervous, in fact, perhaps has declined somewhat, but a bit of stabilization there. Now, with that said, again, the presence of COVID-19 is fully anticipated to increase the prevalence of these mental and nervous type claims. And that's something that we continue to monitor for our clients. Laura, anything to add? Yeah, I think that, you know, I I took a look at our book of business and looking at uh, the 10-year span of 2009 to 2019 just to to see what the numbers are telling us. And we look when we're looking at trends for disability, we look both at short-term and long-term. And by short-term, I'm referring to the first, say, 17 to 26 weeks of disability. And we've seen that the volume of open claims in the mental disorder category has increased from around 13% in 2009 to now around 20%. And so that has moved the mental disorder category to number one from what was in 2009, actually number three. We also look at dollars paid, so we have to look at the cost, you know, the the dollars that were paid associated with those disability claims, and that percentage has increased from around 19% of the total dollars paid in 2009 to now around 29%, again moving from the number two position 
to the number one position and exceeding the second place category now by about by 10%. So just in that short term space, we've, we've seen a lot of movement. And then if we look into long term disability, mental disorders is, is number one, as we see in STD. And both the number of open claims and the cost of those claims, we're seeing them in that position, number one position. In 2009, we were looking at around 26% of open LTD claims, now represents about 33% of open LTD. And the dollars have gone from about 29% to about 35% in 2019. So very much similar to, to what Paul was just saying as well in our trends. I'd like to turn now to the province of Quebec, because apparently we've seen some unique experience in this area. Can you describe what's happening in that province? And do we foresee the same thing happening elsewhere in Canada? Yeah, thanks so much, uh, Chris. So uh, certainly these last two studies, as mentioned before, that were published by the Canadian Institute of Actuaries, at the end of the day, provided recovery rates that were determined based on the province of residence and the province of residence being specifically Quebec versus those outside of Quebec. The reason for that was because in performing the study, it was it, it was seen that the recovery rates in the province of Quebec were significantly higher than outside. Now, you know, there could be the, the answer as to why that is, is a complicated one. There are lots of factors that go into it, but certainly one of the major factors that I would assume is the distribution of these mental health type cases. As mentioned before, when looking at the distribution of the, of the all these hundreds of thousands of claims that were analyzed in each of these studies, we see over 40% of those claims in Quebec be related to mental health. Whereas outside of the province of Quebec, it's more around the 25% range. That has a direct impact on the recovery experience. And this is also why if you are a group LTD, if you sponsor a group LTD benefit plan, you may actually see, you know, premium rates not necessarily being all that different in the province of Quebec versus outside of the province of Quebec. The reason for that is because there's also a higher incidence happening in Quebec. The, the higher this is, you know, somewhat speculative, but the higher prevalence of mental health cases in Quebec is tied to the fact that the stigma surrounding mental health is further advanced, further eroded in the province of Quebec. And as a result, they see these recovery rates being so high. I think similarly, when we're looking at um, block data within my organization, we do break it down by each individual province. And we see, you know, for short-term disability ranging, mental disorders ranging from around 10% of the total claims to a high of 28% of the total claims. So the lowest percentage actually happening in the province of BC and the highest in the province of Quebec at that almost 29% of the total open claims. And an LTD ranging from about 21% to 35%, again, with Quebec coming in at the highest. When we're looking at open claims, incidence isn't, really a, as much of a factor there because we're looking at the percentage of the total claims open within for that organization and then within our block as a whole. So it, it modifies the percentages a little bit, but still Quebec coming in at the highest. And it's really difficult to answer the question why, because there are so many variables. And those conversations sometimes vary from client to client with respect to 
that individual client's circumstances and the nature of the work that the people do. But, but it seems to be, to some extent, differences in access to, to treatment is one variable. But, but it, it is a question, I think, that probably deserves more attention. Now, what are employers doing to help manage the incidence of mental health claims? For example, what programs have they initiated in this area? I can, can talk about that, I guess, uh, maybe to start off by, by referencing that Sanofi Canada did a 2020 healthcare study that provided some insights into what workplaces are dealing with when it comes to, to stress and mental health and, uh, and what they're doing about it. So they're reporting that about 30% of plan, their plan members or plan members of a particular plan are reporting high levels of stress on a daily basis. And when it comes to people who actually are not satisfied with their job, then those numbers increase to about 52%. Or those that are maybe dealing with other health issues, then the numbers increase to about 48%. We also see that age is a factor, so that plan members that are in younger age groups, the 18 to 34, around 34% of, of those uh, employees are reporting that they're dealing with high levels of stress compared to those in older age groups. So there's a variety of factors that are contributing to sources of stress and the study identified personal finances as one, workload, work-life balance, and, and that, you know, having an insight into what's driving uh, mental health concerns or, or stress-related issues then drives the actions that the plan sponsor may want to take with respect to helping members deal with those stress issues. Yeah, and perhaps, uh, you know, like just to add to Laura's comments, we certainly have seen in the employer space a, a lot of attention being paid to the well-being of the employee. Don't, we, we don't have to go back too far to a point where an employer's response to the stress management of employees was to put in an EAP provider or something to this effect. Employers are now seeing that truly addressing the well-being of their employees. So whether we're talking about the financial well-being or the emotional well-being or the physical well-being of an employee, that they are seeing that return on investment happening. And so although it has been delayed to get to the point where we are today, it is happening and I would say happening fairly quickly. Because I think organizations are recognizing that it's, it's a complex issue with multiple drivers and requires, therefore, a, a somewhat complex response. So organizations are looking to have a multifaceted mental health strategy, which includes things like, for example, many organizations are implementing mental health training programs for their leaders to ensure that managers are equipped to start to recognize when an employee on their team is starting to struggle and is equipped to be able to respond uh, and to work with that employee effectively and to help them access the supports that they need, which doesn't mean that you're turning a manager into a diagnostician or a treatment practitioner, but it does mean that managers recognize that the role that they're playing in the workplace is to help their employees be successful and productive. And to the extent that an employee is struggling, that's the role that a manager can determine what next steps need to occur. It was inevitable that we would eventually talk about COVID-19. So can we take a minute and talk about how the pandemic has affected mental health prevalence? And how do you see this changing as organizations hopefully start to return to normal operations, uh, possibly next year? From a 
claims perspective, I think that it's still very early to really see what the impact of COVID-19 has been on disability claims in general and on the mental health sector in particular. So we're still kind of looking at that data and trying to, to figure it out. We have seen that there was a spike in STD claims reported with COVID-19 diagnoses early in the pandemic and claims continue to be received, but the influx had slowed down significantly. Now with the curve is starting to go back up again, so we'll see what the impact is on claims. But the impact on mental health is something different altogether. So if you're thinking about a disability claim, if the diagnosis is a COVID-19 diagnosis, that's one thing. But if you're looking at other factors that are impacting disability claims, like people with other diagnoses not being able to access appropriate care, or people are struggling with their mental health because of the stress associated with COVID-19 while also dealing with other issues. Those are factors that are not necessarily obvious in the numbers, but are factors that have to be managed and addressed by the, the people that are managing those disability claims. Yeah, and I think that's an important point that, you know, I'd say in general, the industry is certainly anticipating a spike in mental health claims getting to long-term disability. To Laura's point, it is still fairly early. I mean, most long-term disability plans have a six-month elimination period. So we're at September 23rd today, so back up six months, and we're at March 23rd, really at the you know, very beginning stages of this pandemic. So we haven't yet seen it impact LTD experience, but that does not mean that it won't happen. Certainly, you know, just a quick internet search of, you know, mental health and COVID-19 will re reveal a plethora of articles on this subject. And, you know, to also to Laura's point, there are other indicators out there, right? Like whether we are talking about an increased usage of, for example, psychologist claims or increased usage of anti-anxiety type medications through the drug plan. These are indicators that it is forthcoming. However, again, you know, what has been supposed like long established in, again, that province of Quebec is, you know, a higher incidence of or a higher prevalence of mental health tends to come from the LTD perspective anyway, tends to come with a higher rate of recovery as many of these claims, you know, generally will not meet the definition of disability once it gets to what we call an own, uh, any occupation phase, you know, for the first couple of years of LTD payments, you know, it's an own occupation, so you can't perform the duties of your own occupation. And then a couple of years later becomes the duties of any occupation. So it's a much stricter de definition that does happen. And we do see that these claims tend to come off at that point. Can you explain what is happening with pharmacogenetics and how these are influencing both employers and the group insurance market? Yeah, so so what you know when I talked earlier about needing to have a, a mental health strategy, insurance carriers have a variety of tools and resources that they use to manage mental health claims proactively. And when it comes to mental health, one of the keys to managing a claim is to make sure that we have the right diagnosis and that we have the right treatment plan in place with that employee. And so we look to engaging with that employee very early on in their disability to understand the nature of the symptoms and the nature of the treatment that is underway. And to the extent that we can assist with that by 
by making sure that they have the access to the appropriate care, then we're looking to do that. Pharmacogenetics is one example of being able to help an employee with, with their treatment because there are some times when an employee is on a particular medication, but they are not recovering like we would have expected they would based on the medication that they're on and the dosage that they're receiving and that sort of thing. And so uh, a pharmacogenetic test is an opportunity for an employee to participate in providing a sample. It's just a simple cheek swab that is analyzed by an organization that can then confirm what medication that person is best able to metabolize. And therefore, there could be some recommendations made to the treating practitioner around possibly considering some alteration in the medications prescribed for that person, whether it's the dosage or the actual medication itself. And so um, that's one example of a tool that's being used to, to try to proactively manage disability claims. And increasingly, some organizations are looking at offering that type of testing earlier on so an employee could access that if they feel that they're, that they're having any any issues that they may be able to access that on a, on a fee-for-service basis as well before the disability occurs, which of course would be ideal if you can avoid the deterioration in a person's condition and keep them productive. So let's wrap up by looking at the future and, and what trends should we be looking for as we go forward? Yeah, thanks. So certainly from the actuarial perspective on the LTD, I would say what is coming over this next while really needs to be looked at separate from what we have seen historically, right? If we do see this spike in mental health type cases, that clearly will have an impact on the pattern of recoveries compared to what has been previously seen. But there are other areas that certainly we are looking at which are out of the norm, right? So for example, basically every province right now is dealing with delays in inpatient and outpatient type procedures within a hospital. What impact is that going to have on the probability of somebody recovering from a long-term disability? We're starting to hear about the emergence of other types of claims, right? So not just mental health, but we're starting to hear about maybe a higher uptick in you know, issues like musculoskeletal type claims or cancer claims even just in regards to the nature of getting used to this new normal and perhaps not being as active physically as we were prior to this pandemic for many certainly that work in white collar type positions and are working from home. And as well, you know, certainly from the insurance perspective, there are case managers, right, that have to deal with this, um, that have to deal with these claims. And, you know, certainly even prior to the pandemic, these case managers are asked to do a lot to the extent that there is a spike in this. There, 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 there will be for further demand and further stretching of their time and their efforts. And what type of impact is that going to have? So that all said, I mean, I would say the experience that we see certainly over the next year, perhaps a little bit longer, does need to be treated separately before we start seeing hopefully, a return back to normal. So like this pre-pandemic um, type experience, but that remains to be seen. And I, I think what we will find too is that there are some workplaces that will never go back to pre-pandemic normal. And, you know, some have moved very much toward uh, a work from home environment and, and intend to keep that in place, which it, it's interesting because when you're dealing with individual organizations, you've got scenarios in which the work from home environment has actually resulted in higher attendance, uh, less absenteeism, and earlier, 
earlier and easier return to work because you you know people find it easier to be able to to manage their tasks from home. So there can be you know some differences in in outcomes depending on the, the nature of the organization that you're working with. But from a trend perspective, from a case management perspective, we're going to continue to see carriers, disability managers looking for virtual solutions, virtual options for care, whether it's psychotherapy virtually, whether it's cognitive behavioral therapy virtually, physiotherapy virtually as well. There are any number of therapies that can be delivered through virtual means and it will be necessary for organizations to explore those and work with vendors who are able to deliver that level of service not just through the pandemic but beyond because people will come to expect that that's going to be available and available to them okay well that was very informative so uh, thanks to both of you for taking the time to speak with us today thank you chris thank you so much chris We now have over five dozen episodes in our podcast series, so we encourage you all to subscribe. You can do so through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you use to access podcast content. Also, we would like to hear from you, so please send your comments, suggestions, or episode ideas to podcasts at cia-ica.ca. Until next time, I'm Chris Pivoli, and thank you for tuning in to Seeing Beyond Risk.